Well, in just a few seconds, we're going to continue worshiping. But I just want to take this opportunity to welcome you to Spruce Grove Community Church. And if you're visiting with us, I, in, I invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to come upon you today and to touch you and to bring you closer to Him. Now, this morning as we're worshiping, you know, there's uh, one of the scriptures that always is a, like a challenge to me. It's that psalm that says, Give the Lord the glory due His name. And I consider that an immense challenge. Give the Lord the glory due His name. What does that really look like? I mean, of course, you know, we can worship Him with attention. We can biblically do what He asks to do. We can lift our hands. We can make a joyful noise. We can dance. We can... But, I mean, on a heart level, how do you glorify God in the way that He deserves? Well, I don't know how close we've come to so far in our lifetimes, but it is my stated aim to take a shot every day, every time we meet, every time we gather, every time we begin to sing, we need to make it our aim to come as close as possible, humanly possible, divinely possible to give Him the glory do His name. So as we continue to worship this morning, I invite you to make this the effort of this morning. I mean, I know we come in and we got all kinds of things, things we want to see happen, things we'd like to see happen. If you're visiting, you're wondering, what are these people about? Is it safe here? Is it, is it friendly here? Are they doctrinally sound? You know, whatever you may be, whatever page you may be on, I think we can all come and give our best effort in this way to give Him the glory due His name. So can we do that this morning? Father, we want to give You the glory due Your name. Lord, and in as much as we don't know how to do that, we say, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us in our infirmities. Help us in our weaknesses. Help us in what we do not know and how we cannot worship, Lord, to go that extra mile, that extra step, to, Lord, give you more glory today than we've ever given before. In Jesus' name, let's give it to Him today. This, this is what songs like this are meant to be. They're not just token words that we know are consistent with our faith that we're declaring because we believe them to be true. But there's, a, there's an inherent declaration in them. This is coming to pass And the impending reality of that should cascade down upon us with growing sense of conviction and the fear of the Lord that He is coming in the clouds and He will break every chain. So, Lord, we say in the name of Jesus as we continue to sing this, Lord, let this be more than a a future event. Lord, let it be the reality of Your presence in our midst. You are Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. God with us. God with us. Break every chain. The Lord is attracted to worship in a sort of prophetic summary of all the worship in the earth. It says in Revelations that the bride says this one thing. Come. It says not only does the bride say that, but the Spirit says that as well. The Spirit and the bride say come and worship on what level is an expression of our desire our hunger for the full manifestation 
of our salvation, the full manifestation of the authority of the kingdom of God in our midst. So we say, Holy Spirit, come. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Lord, we want more of you in our lives. Lord, we want every chain to be broken, every, every guilt, every shame, every condemnation, every sin, every bit of depression, all bondage to be broken. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Just let your spirit continue to say, Lord, come. It's really a fulfillment of the prayer that says your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. All the things that are in heaven, Lord, bring them to the earth. All the majesty that unfurls from your presence, let it come to the earth. Let the decimation of everything dark and evil come to the earth. You know, I feel like God is wanting to impress upon us the victory in our lives that's possible. You know, one of the things that happens is uh, you suffer defeat. You begin to believe that, oh, yeah, I, I think this is possible. Then you suffer some kind of setback. And then you're reticent to proclaim or contend for victory on the level that you contended before. Because you start to wonder if it's possible. And so there's this conflicting value inside of you. But you know what? This is what the Scripture says. It says, nothing's impossible to God. And you know, we love that because we think, oh yeah, well that's it. That, sure, nothing's impossible to God. It's just, it's just me. It's, it's in my life. It's, I can't do this. But there's another verse that says nothing is impossible to him that believes. And God has meant for these things to go together in your life. That first, that nothing is impossible to God. And that the, only, the separation, the distance between victory and failure is your capacity to believe. And what failure is, is not failure. It's just a revelation of a lack of faith in your life. That, that God, this is possible. If all things are possible to him that believes. Well, you think, wow, well, are you saying I don't believe? I'm, I'm saying that's all of our challenge. I mean, it says, if, if you can believe, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. I, I don't know about you. I, I can't do that. So that tells me I, I don't believe as much as I could. So it's not a, a challenge for you or you or you. It's a challenge for all of us. Jesus said to the disciples, oh, you of little, little faith, when they couldn't cast out a demon. We are increasing in the victory of God in our lives by increments and by measures. How much of the victory of God can we believe for? And so we're just saying, Lord God, we want to believe. We want to believe. We want to believe. And so, Father, today, the fear of attempting to believe again, we pray that that would be broken in our lives. I I feel this tension. I'm not sure I want to believe. You know what? I, I think it's easier if I just don't set myself up for failure. I think it's easier if I just don't expect... Or be too idealistic. And I say dream. I say dream. I say dream. I say reach for the stars. I say believe for the impossible. Believe for the immeasurable. Believe for beyond what you can think. Father, we want to say restore in us the hope and the capacity to dream. Lord, that you will do signs and wonders in our land, in our, in our city, in our region. 
that it will astound all of us. I remember years ago, somebody says, well, I'm, I'm going to shoot for 100%. And somebody else scoffed at him. He said, you know, it's very unlikely. He said, well, I'd rather shoot for 100% and get 70 than shoot for 15% and get it. And there's something about the pride of man and self-sufficiency that we want to get exactly what we said we were going to get because we never want egg on our face. But I'm saying I'm going to I'm going to shoot for the stars. I'm going to shoot for beyond what I what is likely to happen in my life. Can you do that today? Lord, give us the ability today to begin to believe again, to begin to dream again. In Jesus' name. Come on, Chris. Chris, I think, has a, something to share and maybe a testimony here. I just want Tyson to come up. I wanted him to share last week, and he had to sneak out. He was working with the kids and stuff. But uh, Tyson's been kind of shooting for the stars in a part of his life. And I think this is so fitting just to share a little bit of what's been going on in Tyson's journey uh, over the last week or so, right? A couple of weeks. weeks, yeah. Why don't you just share a little bit of it? Okay. Um, so this all... Oh, God's just been wrecking me lately, and for the last couple of years, I've just been asking Him, just show me, show me what you did for me on the cross. And I grew up in the church, and I, I've never understood, but these last couple of weeks, man, He's just been crushing me with what He did for me, and that I am not good enough to make it to heaven on my own. If you've sinned once, you're not good enough. And I grew up in the church, and I always thought that I was good. And that I, I almost boasted in my own salvation. But God's just been wrecking me. And so lately, um, he took me to uh, the story about Saul. And just how Saul was actually a man after God's heart. And, and Cain was a man that he wanted to see, he wanted to be close to God. But they wanted to do it their own way. And they wanted to... You know, with Saul, it was he was told to destroy the Amalekites and all of their livestock and everything. And so they destroyed everything, but then they took the best of the livestock and they said, and Saul said, "We're we're going to destroy this anyways. Why don't we sacrifice it to God?" So his heart is actually in the like you'd think his heart's in the right place, but there's disobedience there. And so Samuel said, "Don't you understand that God desires an obedient heart, not a rebellious heart? No matter what you think." So for me, the last couple of weeks, I've just been, I, I always notice um, uh, infirmities and sickness, and God just draws my eyes to those things. And I always, God's always like, go pray for that person, go pray for that person, and I never do it. And then uh, when I read about Saul, he was cast, like God, after one thing in, in his wanting to do good for God, in one thing, God said, I wish I'd never made Saul king. And my whole life, I've been disobedient. Because, man, since I was 12, I've noticed these things. So the last couple weeks, I've just been like, God, I can't do this anymore. I thank you for the grace that you've given that I can walk in grace. So I've been obedient. I'm starting to pray for people. That it's beautiful. I'm not seeing crazy things happen, but just in obedience. I I was at the Tri-Leisure Center, and this was the first time, because, you know, when you ask for things, God gives them to you, right? So I've been asking that God would give me opportunities, so he gives them. So I'm walking into the Tri-Leisure Center, 
And there's this older lady, and she's just staring at her car with a walker. And God's like, go pray for her. So my first reaction is, I don't want to do that. So I, I kind of kept walking, and um, just as I was getting past her, God's like, you got to do this. And I look over at her, and she just has this hopeless look on her face. And I, I was, so I said, hey, are you okay? Is there anything I can do to help you? And she goes, I can't get my walker in my car. I said, well, that's no problem. I can help you with that. So she opens up her car, and I put her walker in, and I noticed she kind of had a limp. So I said, hey, what's going on with your knee? And, uh, and she goes, well, it's actually my back. It's been really messed up lately, and I can hardly walk. I said, I'm a Christian. I've seen God do crazy things. People have been healed of cancer. Can I pray for you? And she just starts, she breaks down, and she starts crying. She's like, I'm a Christian, too. I would love it. And so I got to pray for her. And I didn't see anything crazy happen, but, you know, and it wasn't like there was just, I'm holy now. But just, you know, just knowing that God's pleased with me was awesome. And then I was at, um, I was at my hockey game. And, um, you know, so it's, it's called beer league because guys, guys drink after hockey. That's half the reason they play hockey. But God told me, don't drink, don't drink there anymore. So I stopped drinking because I want to be able to hear God's voice wherever I go. I don't want anything to get in the way. So after the game, my parents were there, so I went to the side, and I was talking with them. And I noticed the guy who was keeping our score, he came walking with uh, an oxygen tank behind him. So I was like, hey, uh, what's, what's up with this? Why, what's with the oxygen tank? And he goes, well, it's an oxygen, oxygen. It's an oxygen tank. I, I can't breathe very good. My lungs are uh, being attacked by my body. And this is a guy who's actually dying. There's people around us that are dying dying daily. And so I said, hey, can I pray for you? God can heal you. And he goes, well, I guess so. Like, he, you know, they're not always going to be super receptive. And so I prayed for him. And I was like, how do you feel? And he's like, well, I feel the same. And I'm like, you know, Jesus loves you and he can do this, right? He goes, oh, I hope he loves me. And I said, man, he died for you. He died for you. And it, it's funny because as soon as I stepped out to do it, it was like I just had boldness to just say, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. He goes, well, I hope he loves me. And then he kind of walked away. But these seeds are planted now. You know, and, and I don't know if he went home and the next day he was healed or not. I didn't get to see that. I just got to be obedient and make my father pleased with me. So he's just been wrecking me right now with, you just got to be obedient. So I just encourage you guys. This was a great training ground here at church. So I'm just going to take another second. This, this is a great training ground here. So when you feel God tell you to do something here, if you can't do it here, it's going to be impossible to do it out there. This is a safe place. No one's going to judge you. And this was a great training ground for me to learn how to pray for people and then come up to Pastor Mark and say, hey, I think God wants to do this. Or, you know, grab a flag and go crazy or dance, try to dance like a ballerina, which I can't do. But when God desires those things, you do them. You know, thank you. Bless you. Appreciate that. You know, uh, yeah, give him a hand. The need, the desire, the calling to influence is across the board. You know, it may not express itself in this particular way, but we need to be vehicles of righteousness no matter what we do and no matter where we go. But just a little testimony. I know that there are more evangelists in our midst. I, I am not an evangelist. I, I have a hard time seeing the value of talking to somebody who's next to me on the plane. 
Because <laughs> I think, I don't know you. Uh, I'm not going to ever see you again. Uh, of course, I was willing to talk to Kelly Buckberger when he was sitting next to me. And <laughs> actually, he started the conversation. But anyway, um, we were coming back from a missions trip. We were uh, in the Philippines. It was four of us. And David Noble was with me. And the last night we were in Manila, we decided to go out. It actually was October 31st. And <clears throat> so it was Halloween night. And we went to the Outback Steakhouse. And we just had um, a week and a half of ministry, did a conference in Davao, the, Philipp- the Philippines, and one in, in Manado, Indonesia. And it had been a week full of meetings and church and prayer and the Word and all kinds of things. And then we get there, and then, of course, all the, the waitresses and everybody was dressed up in Halloween costumes. And one of the girls comes up, and I'm just, okay, I'm, I just want to have a good meal and David starts evangelizing, David Noble starts evangelizing our, our waitress. And I'm thinking, ah, here we go. You know, and I'm thinking in my mind, pardon me, here's my confession. Like, come on, David, give it a rest. All right, I, I know you're spiritual. Uh, and I sort of had judged his motive for doing that. Anyway, she comes back to our table five minutes later, and she got no costume on anymore. And, uh, and he said, oh, what happened to your costume? She said, well, the Holy Spirit convicted me. And she began weeping. <laughs> and she, she just, she received the Lord right there at the table. And I, I thought, I thought, wow, do we ever need the evangelists? But you, you may or you may not have the response immediately. But we need to actually start stepping out. Because you might start getting, you know, maybe 10% response, maybe 15, maybe 20. And I think that's a lot better than what we're getting right now, if we're not doing it at all. So, just do it. Well, we can say this, right? It's, it's, not the only, it's not only the evangelists that can love people. That's all of us. We all get to love. We're all called to love. That's the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? We're called to love each person that we're in contact with. So can we say, yes, Lord, we will reach for the stars. Whether it's, if it's evangelism, if it's just helping a neighbor shovel his walk, if it's praying for somebody, it doesn't matter what it is. If God's placing an idea in your heart to do something, God, may we reach for the stars and say yes. May we say yes, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk about something. I'm calling it Restoring the Government of God. I'd like to think of a more pithy sort of a title, but it's all I could come up with. Part of the reason is because I, sent, I spent all this last week with a front-end guy. And they might wonder, what's a front-end guy? Well, in the kingdom of God, there's back-end guys and there's front-end guys. And some of you, you know, you might... I'm not looking for a show of hands, but a lot of you in this church are back-end people, and fewer front-end people. We get the odd one who's, you know, can cross over both worlds. When you uh, develop a website and you go visit that website and you push the buttons and click and put in your information and use a website, what you see is the front-end, okay? What you're dealing with is the more tangible, physical, usable part of that. But programmers and people who have that ilk in their life they are back-end people. They know why it works. They know how it works. They know if you push a button and it doesn't work, they could go in and fix it. 
right? You know, these are the back-end people because there's an invisible part to every website that is actually responsible for that website actually working, okay? And the, the, the beauty, the symmetry of the icons on the, on the screen have nothing to do with the workingness of it, okay? Now, that's all code, and it's all back. Well, in the kingdom of God, uh, there, there is a place where things that are kingdom touch the visible world. There's a place where they come into the visible world. Some people aren't interested until then. Other people are oriented about what things are kingdom right at at the very genesis. Where does it start? Not where does it affect the natural world, but where does it start? Because there is a birth and then a growth and then there's 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 a conception and then there's a birth, which is where things actually start to affect the physical realm. So some people are uniquely gifted and called to handle the kingdom of God and to, to run with it as it touches the natural realm. We need those people, okay? But not everybody's like that. In fact, well, most prophetic intercessory types, they're the people who relate to the intangible. How many of you relate to the intangible? Anybody here at all? Yeah. <laughs> the intangibles don't lift their hands, Kim said. <laughs> they just nod inwardly. <laughs> But anyway, to make a long story short, I spent this time with a a friend of ours. We spent five days at his house. He's a, he was a former lawyer with a big law firm in London, an international law firm. And he is, he's, a, he's the, the chairman of the UK Bible Society. He's, he's very distinctly a front-end kind of guy. I mean, he's, he's <clears throat> tremendously bright and accomplished and, and you know, uh, uh, loves, loves the structures and the, and the things affecting culture and government and all the rest of that. So, but as I was talking with him, I realized there's certain times when I'm talking about things and I can feel him inside going, it's like, got it, got it, got it, got it, whoa, you know, and all of a sudden he's, whoa, 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 what's that about? And, and I thought, I, 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 I felt that before, but I thought, you know what? I know, because I have a wife, that, that, that we have a lot of front-end people. I'm a back-end person. I, I see intuitively the spiritual things, the spiritual construct. And I, and I love the fact that the things which are seen are made up of the things which are not seen. And as Christians, God has given you the ability to see the effect or the structure of the things which are not seen. I mean, you have to be able to see that and understand it to some degree. But even so, there are some in our midst that are more gifted at implementing and bringing structure to things once they become seen. And we need both of them. We need both of them for sure. So anyway, I was thinking this morning, because I was up at 4 a.m., I was thinking this morning as I was laying in bed wondering if I would sleep more about this idea, this conference that we were doing coming up. And I was wondering how tangible it was for front-end people. And so I, let's put up the icon there for that. I, let me, let me, this will be our commercial for this event. Okay, so here it is. Uh, I'm not sure. Is this on our Spruce Grove page? Okay, this is on our Spruce Grove page. We've called the conference Open Up the Gates. Now, there's a long history and a theme to that. But I actually woke up when I was praying about what we should call this with the song that we sang this morning. Open up the gates 
And, and that was, I, I woke up, I, I thought, okay, let's call it Open Up the Gates. Now, the problem with Open Up the Gates is to the front-end people, what's the point? What gates? Where are the gates? How do we open them? If we do open them, who's coming through them? What, what, what is the use of these things? Uh, what, you know, this is, I mean, to prophetic people, oh, yeah, open up the gates. Woof, hallelujah. It's like, I need no more. I'm good. That's, open up the gates. It's in the Bible. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Oh, yeah, we used to actually have gates right here. Because we did the thing called the Gate Conference with Nolan Clark and myself years ago. Uh, Chris organized that right around the time that I was teaching a lot on spiritual gates. Anyway, so I wanted to do a sort of a, a, a more enhanced explanation or teaching. or I wanted to talk about some of the elements of what is the, what is the meaning of this. We're actually, I mean, I, I think it's going to be an important event. I don't want to spend too much time talking about the background, but we are doing an event. I'm part of doing an event that's starting November 1st in North Battleford for 10 days. And our worship team is going for the evening of the 8th and the morning of the 9th. But I'm going for the whole 10 days, except I'm coming back for Sunday. So I will be here on the 4th, but I'll go back in the afternoon. So, um, but it's a 10-day event uh, a number of, it's not about key speakers, but there's some people you might know. Cindy Jacobs is going to be there. Lou Engel is going to be there. Uh, I'm going to be there. Uh, uh, David Demian is going to be there. Um, there's, some, there's some key prophetic voices from across Canada. And the reason is we feel like there was a door that opened 70 years ago that was a part of something that God was doing globally, and it would burst all kinds of ministries that have been around the world. I mean, I mean that season, uh, there's, there's global ministries that are still in effect, still walking, still uh, producing fruits that were birthed in that season. It was known to some as the Latter Rain Movement, to some as the Healing Revival, to some as, you know, uh, just revival. But something opened up, and there's a sense that it's time for Canada again. That there's something, you know, that when, when, when something um, negative happens to our nation, we talk about it, the gates of hell have opened, right? Have you ever heard that saying? You know, well, be careful, you know, the, if you open that uh, Pandora's box, because the gates of hell are coming behind that. So we have this sort of pictorial sense that whenever something comes into the natural, be it good or be it evil, that there's gates being opened that are responsible for it to happen. And we, we sort of, you know, we see that biblically throughout Scripture, that, that idea, that, that the opening of gates and the closing of gates, the opening of doors and the closing of doors uh, reflect uh, the, the beginning of things that are coming for good or for bad. And so... We believe, with this Stand on Guard event, that God wants to open something up again. And so we are contending for our nation that righteousness would pour in like a river. And so we're going to North Battleford, not to hear a speaker, but to come before the Lord and say, God, by your Spirit, come. Come, the Spirit and the Bride say come. So 10 days of worship and being in the Word, and there'll be prophetic declarations, kind of a gathering style for those of you that know what a gathering is. But let's talk about this idea of, of the gates 
and what it's really referring to. We are asking God for his kingdom to come. And, uh, and so there's an imagery, as I said, throughout Scripture around gates, right? What did Jesus say in Matthew 20? He said, who do men say that I am? And then Peter says, I think it's Matthew 20, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, blessed are you, are Peter, uh, our Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he said, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we have here this idea that gates are, are, and the opening of gates or the closing of gates, that gates are access points. They, are, they represent thresholds between one thing and another thing. And so when you open up the gates of hell, then what's in hell starts to come out. Well, the gates of hell will not prevail means that we're not going to allow the gates of hell to remain open. That in the kingdom of God, that what the kingdom of God is, by opening the gate of heaven, we effectively close the gate of hell. Right? That this battle, spiritual battle in our land, is the question of who can open their gates. Right? That's the issue that's being answered. So, you know, even Elijah, when he was, uh, uh, you know, there was, uh, there was apostasy in the land, they're worshiping Baal. He calls all the Baal prophets to, to Mount uh, Moriah? No. Carmel, and he says, all right, you guys go ahead, open, have at her, you know, open up your gates, call on your God, and see what the response is, and of course, they do their thing, you know, they're cutting themselves, and, and, uh, and nothing happens, and so then uh, Samuel, or Elijah says, okay, bring a bowl, and pour water, and do all these things, he says, the God who answers by fire, he is the Lord, right, and so we know what happened, Elijah prays, and the God of heaven answers by fire. The gates of heaven were opened. And the gate of hell was not able to. Uh, another pictorial picture, I, I heard this story a while ago about some, some this confrontation that was happening. I mean, you can read in church history. There's literally dozens and dozens. Ireland was changed dramatically because the Druids were confronted by Patrick on a certain mountain in the west of Ireland. And that actually, that power confrontation shut down their religion until today. Now it's starting to come back because the church doesn't know how to keep the gates open. You know, uh, but um, there was a person that they were, they were preaching the gospel and they were being confronted by these Buddhist monks or something. And one of them began levitating. And, you know, everybody in awe. And this guy just, I can't remember whether he began to pray in tongues or he shouted to Jesus in the name, and the guy just crashed to the ground. Was it you that told me that story, Kim? It was you? Is that, is that, is that safe enough? Okay, thanks. Something like that. So what is that? That is the one gate closing, another gate opening. So when we're talking about gates, open up the gates, we're saying, let the administration of the kingdom of God come into the earth. Let the resources, let the manifestation of the God that we serve come into the earth. Okay, now, as we were saying earlier, well, you know, uh, in my life, I haven't been able to do that much. I mean, the resources of God aren't flowing in my life. I don't feel God's presence. I don't have God's supply. I'm not sure God likes me. Da 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 da. -da. And so, the, the, your whole journey is about what kinds of doors does your faith open? What kind of favor do you believe you have with God? And does God answer your prayers? 
I mean, uh, the, confronting fear, unbelief, and, and, uh, and uh, shame and all these things that inhibit us from having a visible relationship and response from heaven is a part of our journey. But, so let me, let me nail down a couple of things. Because I've called this restoring the government of God because government authority and gates sort of are synonymous to one another. Okay, they work together. In the Old Testament, particularly, we see that 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 the gates of the city and what went on in the gates of the city was instrumental and significant to the governance of the city. Okay, obviously, from the standpoint of the gates, when the gates are open, you know, and a merchant comes into our city, you know, then 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 you have that visual right there that that what comes in has to come in through the gates and so when you close the gates then that thing doesn't come in so you can see the turning on the tap and the turning off the tap is 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 what is involved in this but you think well yeah but we don't have gates our city sports doesn't have gates you know we're, we're not a gated city we got like how do you close off the gates well spiritually there are still gates this is the reality that the spheres of authority whether it's nations or regions or cities that, that uh, God has so constructed um, these entities so that they have access points which are proverbial gates, okay? They are, they are the means through which God comes in or things come in or are established. So the idea of gates, and I'll just run through a few of the, few of the passages here. In uh, Proverbs one i I'm not going to turn to them, so, so you just have to, if you're taking notes, write quickly. Proverbs 121 talks about wisdom at the gates. Genesis 19 and 1, when Lot met with the angelic visitors who were coming to his city, he met them because he was sitting in the gates. You know, that's where the business of the city went on. Uh, Deuteronomy, it talks about the court held at, at the gates with the elders. So the court, the legal activity that went on, judgments that were made when, you know, there was a disagreement and, uh, and somebody, was, uh, somebody was asking for a favor or judgment in their behalf. This all happened in the gates of the city. The elders of the city sat in the gates of the city and made decisions for the welfare of the city. And so um, Ruth in chapter 4 when Boaz was becoming the redeemer kinsman for, for Ruth, right? That all happened. That that legal contract was enacted uh, uh, in the in the city gates, right? So, is it is it clear that we're, we're there's something about government? There's something about authority that happens that transpires in a mystical place called the city gates. So, you know, even if they're not literal in our sense that the things which are not seen, right, make up the things which are seen. And this is what we understand as Christians, is that the visible world and the invisible world both are real, but one has the power to affect the other. And in the kingdom of God, it's the invisible world, you know, the things which are not that, that affect the things which are, okay? And so our whole education is God trying to get us more under, you know, more uh, fluid with what's happening before the something's visible. Absalom, um, he, he sat and he created sedition in the gates of the city. That's where he began with his whispering. Uh, when David taught, he gave instruction from the city gates, Second Samuel 18. Esther, uh, when Mordecai was... Uh, Doing whatever he was doing, he was a ruler, he was an elder, he was a leader. That was happening in the city gates. 
And top it all off, here's one passage. It's Genesis 22, verses 16 to 19. You might remember this one. It's a very important one. And it says this. It said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, you, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiply I will multiply you as the descendants, as, sorry, your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. So, you know, this is when Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. And he didn't withhold him. God provided another sacrifice. So he said, in response to your obedience, I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to give you a mantle to be able to govern in the earth. And these good things are going to happen. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. And, um, you know, good things are going to follow you. Your descendants are going to grow and multiply. It's going to be great. But this is what it says right after that. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed the voice, my voice. So, anyway, that was Abraham's problem, uh, promise. Sorry. So, the idea is that, is that in response to uh, his obedience, God says, I'm going to give you authority, governmental ability to rule over your enemy. And this is what it's about. It is about who is going to call the shots at the end of the day. When you look at a nation, when you like, look at the ebbs and flows of the body of Christ, of righteousness, whether it's in the Old Testament or presently, it's a question of who is occupying the gates, who is allowing, whose gates are open and whose gates are closed. And you think, well, can't they both be open at the same time? I don't know. And, and, and in some degrees they can, but, but in the sense that there is, there is uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see this, that when, when Israel was following after God, I mean, God things were predominantly flowing in the land. Their armies continuously had victories. Well, why? Because the gate of heaven was open, all right? And the gate of hell was, off, was being closed. So let me just pause there for a second. A lot of what we're called to do is about gates, invisible gates. When, when God says, I want you to worship me, I want you to come here on Sunday, they, oh, here we go again, we've got to come to church on Sunday and worship. And, and oftentimes we make it about our need, you know, well, I need a touch from God, or, or I, I wanted to connect with some people. But there's something governmental happening on a level that's far above your own personal need at this point. Now, again, it doesn't mean that God can't meet your needs when you're here, and He will meet your need and their stuff, but eventually you want to get to the place where you're coming to church to be a part of the city gates, okay? Ultimately, what God, the mindset that God is trying to give you is that what you release when you are corporately gathered together has authority to change the makeup of your city. I mean, this, when you actually believe that, and to the degree that you believe that, that becomes effective. So what God is trying to do when he's looking at Canada, he said, and sometimes we pray sort of in this general way, oh, God, change our country. Change our country. And we, by that, we usually mean, you know, what, how does change actually take place? How does a nation, how does righteousness in a nation actually expressed? I remember a few years ago when we were a part of uh, these national initiatives, and they were very important national initiatives, and they did change the scope of political and social events uh, on, on, the, on, the, 
on this, the horizon of the entire nation. Uh, David Demian had a vision, and in that vision, he was looking at the nation of Canada, and he saw an umbrella, and the umbrella stretched from coast to coast. It just, you know, it was a covering. There was a you know, it was at a season where we, the church had come together. Leaders from across the nation had repented and had covenanted to walk together and to trust one another and to, to not speak evil of one another. And, and then we began to do corporate collective repentance for what we knew to be, to be national sins. And, I mean, something was changing, but on, on the scope of the whole nation. But in the vision, he was looking at that umbrella, and all of a sudden, the Lord brought him closer to the umbrella. He just shifted position in the vision, and he suddenly realized that when he came close, that the big umbrella was not just one big umbrella, that it was actually made of smaller umbrellas. And that when he came in closer again, that he realized that the smaller umbrellas were made up of smaller umbrellas. And of course, you know, we, we know we know this, you know, the way the way matter is constructed is there are there are layers of of things that make up other things. And if you follow, you know, string theory, you know, you might find that light and sound are actually at the very base of that, which makes sense because God said, Let the world be and God is light. Yeah. Light and sound. Could work. But anyway, so what is our role? How can we further the administration of the kingdom of God in the, the nation of Canada. You know how? By occupying the land that we're in. By occupying the land that we're in. What is the sphere of your present authority? Well, you know, I'm not, I don't have a ministry to the nations. I don't have a ministry to the nation. I'm not on TV. I don't really have a voice. I'm not known. You have influence somewhere. And this is what God wants us to understand, that the call to have dominion has never left any of us. And right from the very beginning, it says uh, here in, uh, in uh, Genesis one twenty eight it says, Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Have dominion is the one of the first you know initial commands that were given man we were we were given authority the call to rule the call to have dominion is ours to gain or to lose okay when when adam and eve served satan when they did what satan called them to do you know you are you you are who you serve right remember when jesus was talking to the pharisees say we we're not born of sin. Or for, he said, no. He said, he said, listen, whatever you are servant to, that is your master. And so if you serve sin, sin is your master. And so uh, the idea is that we are called to exercise authority. So in your individual life, God is saying, okay, rule. Well, on what level? Well, start by ruling over sin. Start by ruling over you know, the things that occupy, that the tyrannical forces that affect your emotional stability, begin to rule there. Begin to exercise dominion. The scripture, uh, I think it's in Proverbs, it says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. And so, interesting, eh? You know, no, no, the walls are broken when you are, have an inability 
to rule over your own life. In other words, the enemy is creating gates where there were no gates, right? Uh, so there is this call for us to have authority. Now, I'm not the Lord of this region. You aren't the Lord of this region, but we make Jesus the Lord of this region by our obedience and by our faith. And the question is always, is there a group of people, collective or in one church, or, or who is committed on what level to create an umbrella for righteousness, a gate of righteousness in this region? So this event here, hey, where's our, where's our thing? You can leave it, leave, it, leave it up there if we can. If you want to just put the photo of the gate, because those are really nice gates. I think we paid $28 for those gates. We are the people of God who have the authority to invite the administration of the Holy Spirit into not only our lives as individuals. I have that authority for my life. And I exercise that, that, that authority in incremental ways, you know, good and bad, right? But together, God has given us a collective authority over our region. I mean, that's even reflected in our democracy. Uh, you know, I think I was talking to one of our representatives here, and he said 500 votes approximately will get you the nomination for the UPC in, uh, in, in this city. 500 votes. 500. You know, a good, if all of us voted with, for righteous government in the same direction, uh, you know, that's a, that's a significant portion of people well, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I feel like I have authority in this region. You have more authority than you know. You just maybe aren't exercising it because you don't know that you have it. I mean, the same thing, and I don't want to go into this, but the same thing is possibly true in prayer and worship. What if you had the ability through your worship and through your devotion to God to determine how many, how many fights there were in the bars on Friday nights here? What? How, how, how does that work? <laughs> Can't get into it right now. But that's how it works. The kingdom of God is about atmospheres and atmospheres that permit a certain activity, an atmosphere that, that, that make it easier to do other things, right? It's harder to grow a palm tree here than it is in California. Why? Atmosphere. And so in the same way, righteousness is enabled by an atmosphere that is released from the people who know their authority. So God has called us to rule, and the fall interrupted our ability to rule, but not our right. Let me say that again. The fall, when Adam and Eve fell, that interrupted our ability to rule, but it did not interrupt our right to rule. And so... The question is today, and this is when you're beginning to, as a Christian, begin to exercise authority over your life, uh, you have the right to, but who are you going to obey? What voices are you going to listen to? I was just talking to somebody here recently saying, you know, I've seen you make decisions for this thing that's not good again and again and again. You need to realize that each time you make a decision for that, that thing, that you are actually empowering that thing in your life. Each time you say yes to that, you know, it's kind of like, I, I discovered this when I started smoking. 
uh, in, in when I was 11 years old. And smoking, how could you be addicted to that? That's so stupid. Because you're so smart at 11, yeah. Anyway, so I thought, well, I smoked, and I'm not addicted. And I smoked again, and I wasn't addicted. And I smoked again. I smoked for a whole summer, and I quit. And the next summer, I smoked again for a half a summer, and then I started inhaling. And three weeks later, I went home with my volition fully prepared to quit. But I had yielded my autonomy to this desire again and again and again. And whatever it is, the grips of that addiction had chemically made its way into my physical being. And I remember feeling the hooks of it. I was no longer powerful. Powerful, the powerful one. I was no longer deciding when I wanted to have a cigarette. I needed now to have a cigarette. Why? Because I practiced giving up my autonomy. I practiced giving up the authority that was mine to wield. So you, you play how you practice. And so the whole th- what are you saying? I say, well, if we're going to have gates, if we're going to have city gates, if we're going to f- function as, an, as a governmental expression of the kingdom of God, where what we bind on earth is bound in heaven, where our prayers matter and our worship matters, then it begins with how much uh, autonomy have you exercised in the sphere of your, your immediate life, and once you have authority established, some authority, increasing authority established there, then you add that weight to the collective voice when we stand together and say, Lord, your, your presence come. Holy Spirit, come. Have you ever noticed that you can go to one church and, you know, the presence of God is like, wow, it's amazing, this is so great. And another church you go, it's like, yeah, it's not so great. Or you go to one church and one Sunday is like, whew, that was amazing. And the next Sunday, eh, it's okay. What's the difference? Well, you know, God didn't really feel like showing up on that Sunday, and he felt like showing up on that. Uh, it's always you. It's always us. It's kind of like, you know, when you go to hockey practice and you don't feel like skating hard. You know, the coach is like, I don't know why uh, Donnie's not skating hard today. Must have been, uh, must be something beyond his control. <laughs> no, he just is not desired to, to exercise the authority. You know, he's overcome by a sense of laziness today. I don't feel like skating hard. And if you keep doing what you don't feel like doing or not doing what you don't feel like doing, then you find that you can't do that thing anymore. But you, by you, you is us. You individually, you have a, an autonomous ability to call the kingdom of God down on your life and to incrementally reestablish your authority, your autonomy. And that's what freedom is really about, and that's what, the, that's what the gospel, and that's what being salvation, the blood of Jesus has provided for us, the capacity to be autonomous, to be free. And then on the next level, when you join with other believers who also are free, that your collective freedom has weight to it as well. You think, well, why is it, why is it the enemy can be more unified than the church because the enemy his coercion is i mean his unity is based on coercion right does that make sense i mean you know he makes people slaves and then he 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 um, imposes he what's the word he usurps their their authority and uses it for his will 
That's why it's easy for him to get unity. God instead, he wants a volunteer people. He wants a people who decide to use their authority to call down the presence of God every Sunday, whether they feel like it or not. Or they, oh, I already did it yesterday. Or I already did it last week. Said, so, yeah, but you could, you could have more. Because that, not only does that presence or that atmosphere change the mindsets of people that are outside this room, but it actually enhances the ability, your authority, your belief that you have a part in the sound that causes heaven to respond. I mean, this is what God is trying to... You, you your, your faith, your capacity, your belief that God loves me. And when I say, oh, Father, that he comes, he doesn't just come for you. He comes for anybody in the general vicinity of you, on top of you. When a hundred of us do it, when two hundred of us do it, when a thousand of us do it, when two thousand of us do it, when a collection of key leaders from across the nation go to North Balfour and say, God, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then it starts to come. This is, this is, a, this is the way that God is meant for the kingdom of God. So the fall uh, uh, interrupted our ability to rule, but not our right to rule. You know, said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? The earth. All right? We're going to inherit the earth. It is our, our destiny. Colossians 1.20 says, it, For it pleased the Father that in Him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you may think, well, see, it's Jesus going to do it. Yeah, Jesus' body, right? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being known. Through the church, the, the earth, things above and things below are being reconciled to God. By us putting our foot down and spiritually saying, your kingdom come today, Lord, in my life. Father, when we gather today, we're saying, your kingdom come, your presence come. Lord, fill this place with your, your glory. So um, we have the ability to bring that down. So, and you know, finally, and I've already touched on this, but let me just say it. Authority is recovered in increments. Authority is recovered in increments. So you may think, wow, I've given a lot of my authority away. I've given my authority to anger. I've given my authority to lust. I've given my authority to pornography. I've given my authority to covetousness. I've given my... Then take it back. Take it back. Well, yeah, I, I've tried. No, just take it back. Take it back. Well, how much... I remember uh, one, of my, one of my profs in, in college, I was talking to him about this, and he, he's, he basically said, just take it back. Just Each time you say no, you're taking it back. Yeah, but what if I say yes here in this moment? Then I feel guilty and feel like, ah, it's a waste of time. No, just, you know, get up and take it back again. You know, your life is a series of increments of time. And you may, maybe in this moment you gave it up, but you didn't hear and you didn't hear and you didn't hear and you didn't hear. Just because you did hear doesn't mean you can't take it back here. That's how he gets us caught up in sin. Well, what's the point? I sinned again. I'll just keep sinning. No, 
yeah, you gave it away, and you shouldn't have given it away, and we don't want to belittle the importance of, of, of you know, giving it away in that moment, but just, you know, grab this one back. Then you, you go from maybe, maybe ruling over 70% of your mental life to ruling over 75% of your mental life. Maybe you go ruling over 45% of your emotional life to ruling over 47% of your emotional life. In, increments of decision for the kingdom of God are increments of regained authority because this is your destiny. This is what we're called to. We're called to be autonomous. I just did a, a, a Watchman Minute, which is really worth looking at. Go to my my webpage and uh, the Facebook page or the YouTube page. But I, I did this thing because I, I keep hearing this nonsense from unsaved people. That say, well, I can't believe in a God who allowed da-da-da-da-da. And I'm thinking, okay, so you're saying the evidence of a good God is he would steal away your ability to make choices. No, just bad choices. That's choices. So your idea is that a good God would take away your autonomy, take away your authority. No, a good God, we define freedom by the ability to choose, by autonomy. God has given you autonomy, so use your autonomy. Take it back. Amen? Because at the end of the day, that autonomy, that authority, that freedom that you have apprehended, and Paul says, you know, to the degree that we've attained, let us so walk, right? So there, he understands there's a degree. We achieve, we, we, we grab these things in levels to the degree that you've attained, walk. And, we're, and he's saying to me, listen, govern, govern, govern this world, govern this town, govern this county to the degree that you have not yielded yourself to unrighteousness and you've yielded to righteousness, you have the ability to impose on your world righteousness. And that is opening the gates. So, Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity to rule and to reign with you. And you said, Lord, we will rule and reign with you. And, Father, some of us are waiting to get to heaven, but I have a sneaky feeling that we won't rule any more in heaven than we've ruled here. That, Lord, that uh, we, we play how we practice. And what has been enfranchised in us by the choices we make here will be reflected in our authority in heaven. That the ability to rule over ten cities, five cities, one city. Lord, these are aspects of the reward of the faithfulness of your servants. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, starting today, God, not only do we want to participate in what you're wanting to do in Sprisco, but, Lord, we want to participate in a fuller way in what you're doing in the kingdom of God to bring righteousness because we do believe that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And, Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and the meek will inherit the earth. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, we want to, we want to learn, Holy Spirit, what it means to take our place, to stand in our world and to release your kingdom. Amen.